Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Hear now God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. In unpacking this prayer of the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of Ephesians, we now reach the apex in verses 18 and 19, of all that the Apostle has said so far in this letter. Let me read verses 18 and 19 again. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As I've said before, I owe my gratitude for many insights into this portion of Scripture to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and his eight-volume collection of sermons. And so, as he, uh, he began his discussion of these verses with this statement, to which I can only add a hearty amen. He said, these two verses tell us what the Apostle's real object was in praying for the Ephesian Christians. All the previous petitions prepare for and lead up to this petition. They were essential as preparation, but they are not the ends in themselves. They are designed to lead on to this grand objective. We find ourselves, as it were, upon the pinnacle of Christian truth. There is nothing higher than this. God grant us His Spirit that we may consider it aright. We are in a rarefied atmosphere, in a place to which, alas, we are not accustomed. Far too many of us are content to spend our time in the lowlands and and the plains amid amid the mist and the other characteristics of that level of life. So, in the words of the Apostle Peter, it behooves us to gird up the loins of our minds and be sober. Amen. Of all the things for you to have as a goal, of all the things that you could achieve or attain to in this life, nothing can exceed or should exceed knowing the love of Christ. I'm not talking about our love for Him, but of His love for us. We already spoke about Last week, our being rooted and grounded in love, love for him, love for our neighbors, even love for our enemies. But now, we turn to look at Paul's prayer for Christian people who already know, of course, a little bit, at least, about the love of Christ. But he calls upon them to expand to a much, much fuller comprehension of that love. We need to move from elementary school to grad school. We're often like children who are 
playing on the edge of the ocean and we find some little teeny seashell and we're excited about that. And we perhaps see a little crab or build a sandcastle. But we've yet to turn around and begin to contemplate the depths and the fathoms and the mysteries of the ocean. This is not a prayer concerning some abstract or simple, simply theological comprehension. This is not just an intellectual exercise. We want to know about the love of Christ. But the call here, the prayer here, is for much more. He is talking about how much Jesus loves you. The Apostle John describes it this way in 1 John 4.16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Of course, this will always include knowing doctrine. It's necessary that we know what the Bible teaches, so this is not... We're not against knowledge, but we understand that if that's all you have is knowledge, then you have fallen far too short. Nevertheless, such knowledge is essential if we're ever to make progress in knowing the love of Christ. Lazy Christians who never read, who never think, who never meditate, can never make progress in knowing the love of Christ. They can't know those mysteries. They're satisfied with the remaining infantile. But we must start with learning about the Christ, but we must not stop stop until we come to know the love of the person, Jesus Christ. This must be the great goal of all that we do. This is possible, you see, it's possible for all Christians, all Christians to be able to at least begin to expand, to comprehend with all the saints this knowledge of Christ's love. This is not reserved for some special class of Christians called saints. Rather, all Christians are saints. For example, when Paul wrote to Roman Christians in chapter 1, he says of, of Romans, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. The knowledge of the love of Christ is not reserved for monks or nuns or pastors or missionaries. This is a call to every single Christian. Jesus loves you, every one of you. And Paul wants you to comprehend that fact, and so I ask you, do you? Keep in mind, Paul was writing mostly to slaves. He wants them to know that Jesus loves them as much as any other Christian. He wants the borders of your house to be expanded to make room for more and more. Salvation, you see, is so much more than a system. It's so much more than a method. Everything is driven by the love of Christ. Yes, He works, He teaches, He dies. There are things we need to know about all all of this. But every single thing he did, he did because he loves you. You know, you think about a parent that loves a child. 
They do a lot of things every day. A lot of mundane things. A lot of unseen things. A lot of unappreciated things. Wash the clothes. Cook the meals. Earn the paycheck. Keep the lights on. Give a place to to sleep. Read a story. I mean, it's 24-7. It goes on all the time every day. And there the child is, often oblivious, often completely unaware. They're going to have to get older and more mature, and their, their perspective is going to have to expand before they can begin to comprehend how much love is involved, how much sacrifice is involved. And the same is true with Christ. You don't, here's, here's the good news, though. You don't have to be a genius to know the love of Christ. I'm really glad to know that. In fact, you remember the opening part of the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 11. He said this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The fact that you are rooted and grounded in love is what will enable you to comprehend His love. Jesus said, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And so as you grow, the more you can contain. As your love grows, the more you can comprehend love. Just like as that child grows, and especially when a child themselves, when they themselves become parents, all of a sudden, all kinds of things open up, and they begin to think back about things their parents did. And so that's part of maturity, that expansion, that comprehension. Be careful, because Jesus says also, whoever does not have even what he seems to have, will be taken away from him. You see, the summit of his love is very, very high. And if we're ever to ascend, then we've got to start climbing. The breadth, the length, the depth, the height. I'd like us to just take a brief moment this morning to look at each of those just to kind of tiptoe, just to take a few baby steps in the right direction of expanding our comprehension of the love of Christ. So the first question is, how can I know a love that passes knowledge? How can we even discuss the infinite? How do we measure that? Well, this is one of the mysteries or paradoxes of God. Even though the love of God cannot ever be truly or absolutely comprehended, it is our duty and our goal to take in and receive as much as we possibly can. Again, I've thought about this in light of eternity, but I think it applies now. We've gotten started on this. So my question to to you this morning is when it comes to your comprehension of the love of Christ, are you a thimble? Are you a 55-gallon drum? Are you a tanker car? How, how, how much bigger can we go? Are you, the, are you the ocean? You see, because he can fill it all. But if I'm just a thimble, then I can only be so full. I can only comprehend so much. So what we're called to is to expand the container. And to keep expanding the container. 
In fact, the love of Christ exceeds all human loves. It will be the thing that we contemplate throughout all eternity. We will never, ever cease to be astounded and amazed at the love of Christ. Nevertheless, it is our calling to get started on it here and now. And so let's, again, look at each of these adjectives and at least take those baby steps toward climbing this infinite mountain. The breadth. The Bible uses this dimension in several places to paint a rather dramatic picture. In Revelation 5.9, we see that the death of Christ for His people has, quote, redeemed us to God by His blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And in the same chapter in verse 11 we read, And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and, a th- and thousands of thousands. You know, I think I've told you before, I thought when Aaron was born, he's with us here today, uh, but when he was born and when he was there for that first year, and I remember, because uh, Kristen was born 14 months later, so it wasn't very far into him being here that we realized we were going to have a second child. And I remember kind of secretly thinking, how can I love a second child as much as I love this first one? And then God expanded my capacity. Expanded my love. And each time a new child comes, that love expands. Well, yeah, look how many children God has. And he hadn't run out of love. The Apostle John describes his vision of Jesus with his redeemed and glorified people this way. After these things, this is in the book of Revelation, John is seeing Christ. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne of the Lamb of God. You know, we might be tempted to be discouraged as we watch the news. Perhaps we get the impression that Christians are few in number. We're like Elisha who complained to the Lord, I alone am left. But God told Elisha, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Well, God has pulled the curtain of history back to enable us to see the true picture. A multitude which no man can number. And there you are with them. You're one of the objects of His love. And when we consider the breadth of Christ's love for thousands and thousands of years, we cannot help but be reassured and encouraged. I want you to think about the fact that right now today, thousands and thousands of Christians, each one an object of Christ's love, all races, all colors, all ethnicities, men, women, boys and girls, on every continent, in every nation, are gathered to worship the One who loves them and to thank Him for so great a salvation. And so we have to consider the breadth of His love. The evidence of Christ's love is behind you. 
It's around you. It's ahead of you. It extends in every direction. What about the length? You see, His love extends in time. Past, present, and future. It's an endless love. It's a love that began in eternity past. Jeremiah 31.3, as the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He loved you before you were born. As Spurgeon said, he must have loved me before I was born, otherwise he wouldn't have found anything to love. Your Revelation 13.8, your names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Each one of us in particular are known by Him and love. It's not just a multitude. It's not just a crowd. You know, some music star could get up before a crowd of thousands and say, I love all you. I love my fans. That's not this. Jesus gets up and He can call you by name. One by one by one. As though you were the only one. Your name was written in His book again before you were born. The love of Christ began in eternity past and it continues in the world now. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love is an unbroken line. We find a beautiful example of this in the story of the prodigal son, don't we? Even though this son had been foolish and sinful, he had departed from his father's house, even though he really disregarded his father's love and he wasted all that had been given to him. Nevertheless, his father was not only waiting for him, waiting for him to return. He ran out and greeted him and fell on him and kissed him and then lavished him with gifts and celebrations. Jesus said to us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Apostle Paul himself expressed the length or duration of Christ's love this way in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens, He still loves you. Once He sets His affection on you, it will remain forever. Nothing can pluck you out of His hand. In fact, He's making intercession for you right now. And what about the depth? In order to consider the depth, let's think about what He did. Philippians 2, 6-8, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so he steps down from glory. He condescends by humbling himself for our sakes. He divested himself of his glory. 
He entered into a world of sin and shame in the form of a man. He who was equal with the Father was born in a manger. Consider what he suffered. Think of all the malice and the hatred and the fact that he knew hunger and thirst and temptation and he was arrested and tried and he was beaten and spat upon and he was condemned to death, made to carry his own cross and nailed to that degrading post. He was put on display for the whole world to see. In addition, all of our sins were laid upon him and he felt the full weight of the judgment of God the judgment that was due to us, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he was laid in the grave, and in the book of Hebrews we find the description of why he endured so much suffering. The depth of his love. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, and by the way, this is important, the joy that was set before him was your salvation, was you. That's why he endured that. That's the depth of his love for you, that he laid down his life for you. He went through all of that for you. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, every bit of that and much, much more demonstrated the depth of his love for you. He did it to save us. And the depth of his love is seen even more when we consider that there was nothing in us that would call for such love. As it is written... Here's the description of us when he did all this. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They together have become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongue, uh, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the depth of his love, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. And then what about the height? He not only died that we would be for, so that we could be forgiven. The, the, pro, the father of the prodigal son didn't just forgive his son. He died to make us good. He took away our sins and He saved us from punishment, but He did so much more than that. Made us children of God. How do you get higher than that? He made us sons of God, joint heirs. His love is so great 
that he actually joined us with himself. Remember, Paul has already told us that God raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And he will say in chapter 5 of Ephesians, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He's not only saving our souls, he's saving our bodies as well. Philippians 3 20 through 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Christ will not be satisfied until he takes us all the way to the top. And until he saves us to the uttermost. That's the language of John. Excuse me, of Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Therefore he is able to save us to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's active right this minute, right now, constantly, perpetually on your behalf. His last prayer for us on earth said this, John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. 1 John 3, 1 through 2, the Apostle John describes this further in his epistle. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. As our loving husband, He intends to complete the work his loving work for us, and to present her, his bride, us, to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Wow. That is just a little peak. A little, tiny, tiny peak. At the love of Christ. We just kind of open the curtain just a little bit. It's tantalizing. Doesn't it make you want to see more? This is a holy kind of temptation that we should give into without reservation. Our lover loves us. Beyond measure. How could we feel sorry for ourselves? How can we be depressed? I'm going to pray or offer up Paul's prayer that we've been reading here on your behalf. Let's pray.
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, as we now move to come to the Lord's table to celebrate His love, to remember His love, to be nourished by His love, I want to read two quotations here. One from Martin Luther that's rather short. That simply says, The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. And then from the Puritan Thomas Manton, he wrote this concerning the love of Christ. It is a transcendent love. All love, where it is real, is earnest and vehement. Much more the love of Christ, for that is not to be measured by an ordinary standard. For the Apostle says in Ephesians 3.19 that, You may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. The love of Christ to lost sinners is so vast, boundless, and infinite, that there is no parallel whereby we may come to the knowledge of it. We may know it as to admiration, but we cannot know it as to comprehension to the full. Somewhat we may know it by what is spoken in the Scripture, somewhat by what we feel in ourselves of the effects of it, Yea, we not only may know it, but we ought to know it so far as may inflame our hearts with a love to God and enable us to be faithful to Him, whatever troubles we endure for His sake. Amen. Our loving Heavenly Father, we exalt and honor Your name today, for Your loving kindness is better than life. We praise You for Your perfect love, which is directed toward even innocent and worthy objects. For you love that which is true and good and beautiful. O Lord, you display your love to all your creation, both animate and inanimate, and you've pronounced it to be good. But Lord, your love extends beyond that, and it includes a general kindness to that which reaches down toward all your creatures, whether innocent or guilty, sending rain upon the just and the unjust. Your loving compassion attends to those who suffer and are in distress. Even we, the guilty, have known such love as displayed in your long-suffering, in your constant offers of mercy, and in the gift of your Son. Herein, your loving mercy is felt in the power of your abundant pardon. This aspect of your holy love, O God, cannot be shown to the innocent, but only to the guilty. 
Heavenly Father, we are tempted to despair when we consider our trials and tribulations. But as Jeremiah declared, I I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Lord, we too often lament and cry for help, for we are frail and are often in anguish. As we seek for renewal and strength, may we find it where this prophet found it, the only place where it may be found. May our mood be dramatically changed as we say with Jeremiah, Yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Bless now our fellowship, our meal, our celebration, our feasting, our delighting, our resting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Amen. Amen.